This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lended Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus, I should say, actually, the Fintech Nexus News Show. We went through a rebrand today. So with that, uh, I'd like to welcome my colleague, Todd. How are you doing, Todd? I feel refreshed with this rebrand, Peter. Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you? New and fresh around here, Kevin. Um, Kevin Travers, our esteemed journalist, back, I think, for the third time. How are you doing, Kevin? Great. Great to be back. Happy with the refreshed name. Yes, indeed. So busy week of news we had here this week. So let's get right into it. Leading off, I thought we'd start off with FTX. Um, they uh, they were in the news again this week. They're expanding. You know, we all know FTX uh, from their, their ads with um uh, Tom Brady and uh, Giselle, and uh, we uh, also know them as a crypto exchange. And now they're getting into stock trading. So that this they try, they're really going up head to head with Robinhood. Funny that SBF Sam Bankman-Fried, who is the CEO and founder of FTX, bought a seven point six percent stake in Robinhood. We just talked about that last week, and now he's going, he's actually going to go into stock trading, going head to head. It's kind of a funny world we live in. Um, you know, it's just it's just up for uh, you know, it's just up for a few beta users right now. But apparently, it's going to go out. Interesting piece. They're not going to be using payment for order flow, which I thought was really interesting. So, anyway, well, I think that, that there's two interesting pieces to that, that I think here. One is the obviously the piece you said, payment for order flow. So they're willing to lose money, mm-hmm. and you know the the payment for order flow, it got a bad rap through Robinhood. It is absolutely standard across the industry yep i know robin hood got everyone in the news and in you know congress in a huff about it but it's not like it's new or they're doing anything that's um different from other industry players so it's very much the norm in the industry now it might be controversial to some people outside the industry uh but it's definitely normal uh, for those uh, inside the industry and and the fact that they're willing to lose money is is odd um when they don't have to uh this the other thing is 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 the opposite of traditional or uh typical fintech slash bank going into crypto it's crypto coming into regular markets so i think the you know the inverse of what we usually see is is kind of interesting mm-hmm. um i don't know how long they're going to play with the we're willing to lose money for no reason game <laughs> um, but i mean sbf is is one of the sharpest out there so there's got to be some play that maybe we're not seeing right now yeah. absolutely i would i was just going to say sbf has been on a tear in the news lately he he was calling defi or icos ponzi schemes even though he may have or participated in something where you put money in a box and the number goes up and then he said, like, Bitcoin last week wasn't a, a good payments product. And now he's jumping sort of the ship, it seems like, um, yeah. or moving towards traditional uh, stock trading. I, I don't know. For me, if, if people are worried about crypto winter coming, that's sort of becoming more of a trend as uh, prices go down. Um, and if that does happen, if I were a big, uh, I don't know, crypto exchange, I would definitely 
dive, like turn tail and run and go towards traditional securities or stock trading because that seems to do better when uh, there's not much Bitcoin to sell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point. I think something you said recently, Todd, I remember you said that, um, you know, these these like SBF and FTX, FTX want to be an exchange for all kinds of things, not just crypto. And they've talked about um, the, the futures trading um, and they, you know, they FTX could end up being, you know, having multiple different types of asset classes being traded. They actually say in the, I think it was the journal piece that um, we, what we eventually want to offer is an everything, everything app for financial services. It's yeah. kind of like a new, I guess, somewhat of a new spin on a super app, though, though not really. It's just a different entry point to a super app. Right. That's the thing. I mean, and we haven't seen the crypto, um, the crypto people coming into traditional fintech very much, but they, it sounds like FTX is going to go there. Anyway, moving on. I uh, want to talk about Plaid. Plaid um, announced uh, this week that they um, are expanding into in, uh, identity and income verification, fraud prevention. Um, this is not a big surprise. They bought Cognito back in January. They're an ID verification company. Um, and what they really envision, and you know, I, I, we've all done it now. We all connected our bank accounts through Plaid, and all they rely on there is just, you know, getting verification from the bank account. But what they're saying is they can now, what they want to be able to do is verify identity during that process. So it's one seamless process. Remains to be seen. I mean, there is it's a pretty crowded space. There's some very successful companies doing um, great work. You know, we've got on Fido, Secure, Centrelink many, many others in this space that are, are specializing just in identity verification. So, you know, we're interested to see if uh, Plaid can really pull it off as a one-stop shop or whether people are going to want to uh, go um, to specialists. I mean, it's it's surprising it took this long for them to, to get yeah. involved here. I mean, it's a, it seems like a, a pretty natural place for them to be in with, with all their account connection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, they made their bones on that. Uh, the fact that they've taken this long to get there is a little surprising. Uh, but there are, maybe part of it is, is the, the quality of the Secures and the Unfidos of the world because there's a lot of good companies. And, you know, the other thing that, struck me when seeing this is at a time that things are getting a bit crazier in markets and whatnot, security is only going to become even more important yep. to data, to uh, the flow of, of capital from one place to another. I mean, every time you see a crypto hack of some sorts, you think back to, you know, how is this possible? Uh, one and then how how do they bring in the guardrails that they need to to ensure that money and uh, identity all this stuff is as safe as as possible mm -hmm. absolutely i completely uh, i agree that it, it it seems like it took longer than it should but it's sort of after because their main business is collecting data connecting open banking yeah so they already have a lot of our banking data that they use as part of their the main business draw. It it's comes right after uh, what Stripe came and sort of the godfather of fintech comes along and sort of eats their lunch. Um, and then they sort of offer this new, well, if we have people's data, we can KYC them. It seems to me like they're going for maybe a, a more business to business type product where they're going to be 
uh, now offering a service to safeguard apps uh, from by being like the, the defender. Because Todd yeah. is definitely right that security and cybersecurity is going to become even. I mean, we know we see it in the news. We get sent the press releases all the time. It's like a it's like a roaring industry right now. And Plaid's going to jump onto it. Yeah, yeah, it really is, really is. So anyway, let's move on to um, Klarna because we this is this was an interesting piece. Not exactly surprising. What was surprising to me was that Klarna's going back out to the. Um, to the markets to get to raise more capital. It just looks like they felt like they raised, you know, a billion dollars or something close to that just last year. Um, and now they're going back out and they, re- they raised last year at a $46 billion valuation. Now just take that in for a second. Yeah. In 2019, they were at like five or right. seven or something like that. And they jumped all the way up to almost 50 billion in less than three years. Well, now they want to raise more money. And the thing it's in, like, a firm was worth, you know, $35, $40 billion six months ago. Now a firm is worth 7.2 direct comp to Klarna. Um, and so we look at that, it doesn't look good for the investors. There's no way they could go out and raise at $50 billion or more. There's just no way. And they're talking in the low $30 billion. Now, keep in mind, Klarna has the most customers of any buy now, pay later um, you know, company on the planet. They operate globally. They're they're huge. They are most likely going to be um, you know, getting. Into, I mean, they already have expanded in other areas, and they are going to be a big diversified financial services play. But boy, you know, that's it's a hard ask. You know, th- we're going to see this again and again and again in the next six months, like these down rounds. Um, if you have to, if you don't have to go raise money. If you don't have to go raise money, don't. Um, because Klan is uh, going to show the way for a significantly down round, it seems. Yeah, I mean, this could be the theme of not only 22, but probably go into 23 as well. That, um, you know, valuations are, are coming back down to earth. Uh, companies that were able to jump a valuation almost, you know, five, six seven x in the last couple of years are are now dropping that valuation by a third or half and uh, if you're in the public market it's probably 75 to 80 percent at this stage but it's it's something that's in some ways i think it's it can be good in terms of yep. you know resetting the market and kind of getting back to you know multiples that aren't obscene but there's a lot of people and a lot of employees that are just going to get crushed by some of this with their RSUs. And it's, you know, it's, it's a shame, but you know, it's the good times weren't going to keep going on and on and on. Something like this was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. And when it happens for Klarna, there was rumors they were trying to go maybe public or maybe raise another round earlier uh, six months ago, but the the rumors why they didn't is that some of their underwriting or some of their their money they've loaned out didn't come back to them. That they weren't as profitable as I mean, you see so many tech companies that aren't necessarily like they're not big revenue drivers, even well big revenue drivers, but not big profit centers. And now we're seeing. I think you guys are totally right that uh, after absurd funding rounds, one after another, maybe you're not going to be able to ten x after one year when you're just adding a couple million more customers. And maybe things are coming back to earth. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's move on to Newbank. This is a this is such an interesting story. And, and shameless plug: we have the CEO of Newbank speaking on our, our <laughs> keynote stage next week. FinTech Nexus USA it used to be called Lended FinTech USA. It's happening next week. Anyway, <laughs> Newbank reported earnings um, 
this week and it's just like they added 5.7 million users in one quarter. It's crazy. That is amazing to me. They are, um, they now have 60 million users, most of which are in Brazil. There's some, there's, there's a couple of million in Mexico. Um, they, they're, they're increasing their revenue per client. They're still losing money, of course. And one, one thing that I, I thought was fascinating in their earnings report, they said they are now the number one new credit card issuer in Mexico. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's quite, quite impressive. And I just think they continues. I mean, how do you like, like they've, They've got now, I think it was like 57 million um, users in Brazil, which has, I think, 200 and like low 200 million people. So if you look at yeah. adults, probably like 160 million adults, and they've got 60 million customers. It's just so impressive to me. 35% of adults, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this is probably going to be the first real like pan regional digital bank or, or fintech that truly gets on the scale of a, a, a traditional bank. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of fintechs have, have rapid success. I mean, even Clark, you know, our previous story, they have what, 46 million mm-hmm. uh, customers, you know, new bank not only has that, but these are sticky customers, yeah. which is the opposite of, of buy now, pay later in many ways, which is, you know, something I think that that area of the market needs to grapple with. But, um, you know, they've probably a year and a half, I think they've been in Mexico and they're already number one in, in credit card. I mean, it speaks to credit cards in Mexico for one, but for them to jump up that quickly is is crazy as well. Um, you know, this is the the perfect example of um, a digital bank that just right up there in terms of real competitive juices with the traditional financial system. Mm-hmm. We're excited to see this is a company I definitely love watching because they are sort of like an inspiration to what companies can be in hyper growth in LATAM especially. It's so cool to see uh, their growth. They're one year in Mexico and now they're the top issuer already. Um, it's so cool to see products brought to people that didn't have them before. Um, and though public Martin's markets beat them up as they beat up all fintech stocks recently, uh, I know they must be keeping their head down and just growing more because they have these the stickiness of the users, the top of wallet, like it's the, it's the main bank these users have, um, and that's not it's not going anywhere. Right, right, yeah, no, that's uh, that is very true, and I, I feel like New Bank is you know they are going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. They already are, but in the long term, I think they're going to be. You'll see a big New Bank building in downtown Sao Paulo one day. You might guess that uh, they are just uh, they continue to crush it. Anyway, we got to talk about Robinhood. It seems like we talk about Robinhood every single week. Um, and uh, this week, they launched um, a uh, or they announced they didn't launch. Um, they announced they're going to have their own self custodied wallet. So, like to compete directly with MetaMask, Coinbase now has one as well. Um, it's also going to be a way for them to sort of sneakily kind of get uh, international customers because right now they're really mainly us focused um but then they have you know i just went and checked i actually signed up a second time and they have five hundred thousand people now on the wait list uh, i think i'm actually at like one hundred and ten thousand or something is my first my first sign up but uh you know this 
diversification play. One, the one, the one thing that was most interesting. They're not going to charge gas fees. They said like they use Ethereum, you can use Ethereum and not, and they're not going to charge network fees. So huh. they're going to make up for that elsewhere. But, Payment um, for order flow. Yeah. <laughs> Payment for order flow in crypto. Maybe. Well, there you go. The opposite. It's, it's you know the the tie this together with our first story is just the fascinating pieces of the interplay, especially with SBF buying the stake in Robinhood and then going deeper into the web three ecosystem. Um, you know, those two things are just fascinating yeah. interplay with one another. Um, you know, Robinhood needs to get away from just the uh, fun and um, gamification of, of uh, stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one way to do that, uh, especially with those that they cater to, which is the younger generation and uh, clearly younger people like Kevin um, are, <laughs> are into NFTs and um, are certainly accepting of this new world a lot faster than even my generation or um, older well, my generation. Generation. You can say it. Yeah. No, but I mean, they're a lot quicker to say, hey, I'm giving NFTs a whirl or, you know, the people of as you go up the scale in age, there's a lot more. All right, I'm conservative. I've gotten to this point. Like, I know that Kevin's generation doesn't like to take on credit, but they're also willing to try stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny to see how. Maybe they're going to team up one day, Robinhood and FTX, but they're they're going in opposite directions and Robinhood is going towards, I guess, something more like Coinbase. They ran out of their steam as like a fun stock better and now they're going towards one international to this NFT web place. But if you look at Coinbase, their main alternative as like a public US crypto company, they so they launched an NFT platform that hasn't done so well because people tend to go towards decentralized like OpenSea or some non-public, non big giant firm that's going to hang out and collect your NFT collection or whatever. It seems like people don't like going towards these larger organizations for this type of product. So it'll be interesting to see if it works for Robinhood because it hasn't really been working for uh, Coinbase. And it's with a recent disclosure from Coinbase that uh, we've been told other crypto companies have to use too, is that if if you can't afford to pay back uh, or safeguard your, or the SEC says, if you can't afford to pay back or safeguard your users' funds on your exchange, it might be able to be taken in a bankruptcy. So not your not your keys, not your coins may ring true. And Robinhood might run into trouble with that right when they're trying to open up towards uh, crypto, I guess. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's, a, that's that's another topic for um, I know that we, we discussed last week with Coinbase. But yeah, I mean, like the question is, how many of these wallets are going to be um, – you know, are we going to have? I, I think, you know, Robinhood's got a good shot at it. I mean, obviously, MetaMask has a. I think they've got like twenty plus million users now, but um, you know, that doesn't mean the the company that comes first. I mean, I feel like I feel like these wallets are going to be around forever, um, and we are going to interact uh, on the web through wallets like these. And there, there's only going to be two or three winners, I think, in, in that as far as uh, you know, as far as non custodial wallets go, and. It could be Robin Hood. Who knows? But anyway, I want to move on. Um, this was um, an interesting one that I didn't actually realize this was happening that much, but apparently it is where people like 
crypto companies talk about FDIC insurance. Like, you know, every, every bank account is insured up to $250,000 um, of FDIC insurance. And they want FD, apparently there are some crypto platforms sort of implying or even outright claiming that they have FDIC insurance and they don't. And so the FDIC and not surprisingly, and the CFPB as well, are clamping down on this and uh, also making any non-banks, and that includes all of just regular fintech companies, make sure they disclose clearly that they have, you know, like Chime is not a bank. Chime has uh, a bank, I can't remember, is it the Bancorp bank? I can't remember who they use, but uh, they um, they have a bank that where they just store all of Chime's customers' money. Same with same with Dave, same with Moneyline, same with all of them. Um, and they just want to make sure that's clear. This is like the ultimate jackass move. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and if I was a, a crypto executive, I'd want to find out who this these companies are and call them out because the the only thing that this is doing is annoying regulators and legislators that the crypto industry fintech whatever can't be trusted if this is the type of practices and let's be frank it no legitimate real legitimate company the coinbase type company that's kind of looking to scale and do things the right way is going to play this game no this is our these are on the outer edges but it gets played because the cfpb and fdic are looking into companies that are on the outer edges and then it just gets heightened and then gets thrown in the news um and it puts people quote-unquote on notice uh that they're paying attention to it but yeah, I mean, if if you're doing this, this is just the <laughs> dumbest move. I mean, you're just asking for regulators to, to clamp down on you even more. Yep. I, it doesn't make sense. I know Jason McCoola actually pointed out uh, a Y Combinator-backed company called Stable Gains that they didn't outright say they have. They said like you have fifteen percent uh, staking, we'll we'll pay you back, whatever. Um, but they didn't say outright FDIC, but they do have an FDIC-like logo. And they say they're U.S. registered. They say FinCEN registered, just with the type of language that relates to. Right. And I think that's what they're mainly getting at. I mean, if you go out and say you've got FDIC insurance and you don't, you know, that's black and white. You either do or you don't. But when you might, I think that's what they're going after, Kevin, are those kinds of people. It's nuts because if, I mean, why confuse? It? We know it's hard enough to get FDIC, but now they're saying you got to earn it because, I, I mean, it's nuts. Anyway, moving on, I want to talk um, about two of my favorite people in fintech, uh, Rob Frowine, Catherine Petralia. They were the founders of Cabbage that, is, that was acquired by American Express. Rob left uh, I don't know, many months ago now, last year. Uh, Catherine is in the process. This is her last month, I believe. She's in the process of leaving as well. They have a new company, Keep Financial. Um, they've just raised $9 million, led by um, our friends at Andreessen Horowitz. And Rob, I sat down with Rob actually was at the Dealmaker Summit in Miami where I sat down with him and he explained his new company to me. And it, what it basically is, it's, it's almost like it's a retention tool, an employee retention tool where, where you want to retain a, a high-paying employee, you offer them a $100,000 bonus, but it's really a loan. And if they have to pay it back, if they don't stay for, say, three years or whatever, and it amortizes over, over a certain period, they manage all that for you. They're basically, what Rob is saying is that there's like um, $8.9 trillion in um, compensation in this country. And there's only 2% of that that is used for um, bonuses. And he's saying that, that, that you know, people want to retain more than ever now because a great resignation 
people want to retain their their employees and so it's it's a good timing for that where for where that's concerned people are open i think to new ideas to help retain employees and that's uh that's what they're going to be doing yeah i mean i think that's the the wider trend to look at here i i honestly don't know a ton about this the their new venture just yet i mean i would put a lot of stock in what rob and Catherine do because of their past success but i think we're probably going to see a lot more innovation uh, in the space of of different ways to incentivize employees to stay and you know i mean we've already seen the you know it seems as if two to three days is the sweet spot to allow people to come in the office and how does that play and then you add stuff like this into it and, and other incentives paying off student debt and um you know it's it's a space that needs more innovation uh mm-hmm. because i think traditional compensation is gonna get a, maybe not fully turned on its head but you know people don't necessarily want all right here's every two weeks i get paid and i go into the office i go home they want to think of a life for themselves and then try to take a job and fit it to the life that they want versus getting a job and then figuring out their life from there and so i think uh innovation and and thinking through ways to throw that around um could really help employ employers keep their top talent that's what they call themselves keep financial keep financial i think play on the words great idea as a as a fairly young like recently in the professional working space and had it all delayed and interrupted by covid and now great resignation is here my generation definitely is looking for something different or more innovation or change from compensation from what we expect our work-life balance to be everything's up in the air because Nothing was there in the first place by the time we even got into work. Um, I think of, I watched the movie Margin Call. It's all about bonuses and stock options whenever at the end of the movie when they're all getting fired because the housing market crashes. <laughs> but Kevin Spacey's character is forced to stay on for two years uh, so then he can later collect his um, stock options and bonuses and everything. And he says, after 30 years, I still need the money. It's funny because under Keep Financial, you would stay there on purpose because you already have your bonus and your vested stock option. You don't need to leave to sell it. That's sort of a, it's a very cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving along, I want to give um, Zendit a shout out. They that's the largest funding round of the week, $300 million. They are a um, Indonesian based fintech. I actually had them on my podcast just this week. It'll be out um, early. Shameless June. plug. Yeah. But uh, they are, I, I went in. To this thinking, you know, they're, they're, they're a unicorn in, in Indonesia. They'll be somewhat interesting. My God, I was so impressed. Um, they call themselves, or others call them as well, the Stripe of Southeast Asia, but they're more than that. They they do provide p- provide payments infrastructure. Like where Stripe came and made payments infrastructure better, they're creating payments infrastructure from scratch. And because there isn't some, like it's just crazy how uh, people operate in uh, in Indonesia. They have massive smartphone penetration and really low bank account uh, penetration, and people just uh, people people paying cash still. And it's they they needed to create this, and they've done a really great job. And they got they just raised three hundred million dollars. Kotu and uh, Insight Partners, big names. They uh, I think they're going places. Sounds like Ladam. It does. A lot in common. Southeast Cell phone Asia. penetration, low yep. bank account, yeah. cash, transac- cash transactions. 
it's you know it's a very similar type of story and and what those markets need more than anything else is good infrastructure yep exactly and that's what they're creating absolutely infrastructure it's like Ladam, but it's even less like they're not competing with anyone else for credit card offerings like they could be in mexico there just is no it's just cash based only so they need infrastructure they need something new and it's gonna be explosion we need to send people down there yeah, we need to have a we need to have a, a yeah. fintech nexus Southeast Asia. It's coming <laughs> one of these days. You never know. Anyway, I want to end with uh, our good friend Ron Shevlin. He had a new uh, survey out. They do this every year. Basically, they they survey. I think it's three thousand people. Don't don't quote me on that. But it's it's uh, they, they survey a few thousand people and um, find out because none of these companies. Uh, basically tell you how many customers they have. So they take a sample size of the US population and then extrapolate out how many how many customers they have. So Chime is the leader, not surprisingly, 14.6 million. Current second at 5 million, Varro third at 4.3. And the thing that was most interesting to me is that Current added more customers in the last year than Chime, according to to cornerstone advisors so it's it's heating up in the digital banking race let that sink in for a second and then think back to our second or, or third story on new bank yeah and the amount of customers that new bank has um acquired over the years i mean it's three four five times some of these companies uh, and so it's it's fascinating to see that story. Um, and these are pretty good success stories here. But uh, the U.S. market is is hard to get real large penetration. I think China's done a great job. Um, I think we're about to, I don't know, for this year, sometime in the next couple of years, there's going to be some pretty big consolidation. Yep, for sure. It'll be awesome to watch. I loved how... It- how still more younger generation people, Gen Z, Gen X, are using like their first and only bank is uh, an online digital bank. And it's no longer like they're challenging. It's not like a challenger bank at all. It's just that's like a third of the population's banking choice is some sort of uh, partner bank or some sort of uh, mobile app. Yep. Even even my generation, the Gen Xs, are choosing more and more a digital bank as their primary bank. And and uh, I think that's you know, it's a good thing. And it's only going to increase in it's a one way it's going to go one way for many many years i think anyway we are out of time before we go though final plug for lended fintech i'm sorry fintech nexus usa it's going to take me a while <laughs> the biggest event in new york all year for fintech is happening next week there are still tickets available go to lendit.com find out more and uh, it's wednesday and thursday next week Three of us will be there along with several thousand other people. You should be there too. Anyway, with that we are going to be off next week because we will be at FinTech Nexus USA. So we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya.